The Honorable, the Judges of the United States Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit. Oyez, oyez, oyez. All persons having any manner or form of business before the Honorable of the United States Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit are admonished to draw nigh and give their attention, for the Court is now sitting. God save the United States and this Honorable Court. Maybe see Thank you. Mr. May it please the Court. My name is James Ulrich. It's my privilege to represent the appellant uh, in this appeal, who I'm going to refer to as law firm um, for this argument this morning. And good morning. This court should reverse the district court's decision denying a preliminary injunction and remand with instructions that all of the seized materials either be returned to law firm or sent for further review by a magistrate judge or a special master to ensure that the attorney-client privilege and work product protections that apply to law firm's clients are protected and only responsive non-privileged documents are released to the government. We also request that, an or that, that this court order that no further review at all be permitted until the government produces an unredacted copy of attachment B1 uh, that provides the fundamental parameters to this search that has never been provided except in a fully redacted form for the, the search terms. So let me give a, a very brief summary of the facts, if I may. Earlier this year, the government executed a search and seizure uh, on, uh, at the premises of law firm and, and uh, obtained numerous records. The government seized a, a client file of law firm for client A, who is the target of an investigation. The government also seized more than 50,000 emails from the inbox and outbox of lawyer A, who is also said to be a target with respect to the to Lawyer A's representation of Client A. Now, is there an attorney-client relationship between Lawyer A and Client A? Yes, sir. And, with, and between Client A and the law firm? Correct, sir. So almost all of these emails, however, do not appear to have any connection with Client A at all. Of the 50,000-plus emails that were uh, seized by the government, approximately 116 were either to or from client A. Counsel, um, aside from the number of emails, what other evidence did the law firm put in front of the judge to indicate that privileged material beyond what was the target of the warrant um, was seized? Uh, well, the the we put before the judge an affidavit of the IT professional from the, uh, the law firm, and that's his the number affidavit of the emails, is in right. the joint appendix. And that has the number of emails, right, that Correct. respond to the particular the number, search terms? The exact number of the emails and, and the number of kilobytes that, e that each one of those downloads took. Is I there a counter-affidavit of any kind no, sir. from the other side? No, sir. Was there not, isn't there also an affidavit that talks about um, lawyer A having other clients with matters that are Open. I, it was yes, a bit ambiguous. I wasn't sure how yes, to read that. So, I think so it's there, the there are two, the two affidavits affidavit. in the. Um, the there are two affidavits. Uh, there's an affidavit of um, one of the lawyers in the law firm who I'm not going to name because we're trying to uh, respect that. Um, but that's at. Uh, uh, well, the IT professional is at. Joint Appendix 80, and the lawyer's affidavit uh, is at Joint Appendix 66. And what the lawyer's affidavit says is that in addition to the um, emails that were seized from, the, from Lawyer A's account, uh, his, his inbox, I should say, they, that the law firm frequently consults among the, the lawyers. This is a multi-lawyer law firm with a significant number of lawyers, and they work collaboratively like many people do in law firms, and talk about each other's cases and communicate with each other about each other's cases. So not only do the emails include references 
to work product with respect to lawyer A and his clients unrelated to client A, totally. But it also includes references to lawyer A's interaction with his partners in the law firm about other clients. So, so they've, uh, they have essentially taken every email that was on the servers at law firm that was related to uh, lawyer A, whether it had anything to do with client A at all. And Has anything a, been returned? No, sir. Nothing's been returned. So the government... They, have they contested that they have all the emails, they have emails relating to other clients no, sir. of the law that's firm? Not, that's not disputed. That's not disputed. Undisputed. So the government recognized that this was going to happen. They Would some of, those, some of those emails be deal with what things like, what do I do if this client comes in here and has issues he wants to discuss about his tax returns for the last 10 years. Any, any email that lawyer A was involved in with respect to any client matter. And he was, a, and he was he the kind of a fellow that, uh, that engaged in a lot of criminal practice, or white collar criminal practice. That's they, correct. They lawyer just, lawyer A is, right? is, is. But he would, if, if a lawyer asked him a question and said, I've got a, a client has an issue, has issues about 10 years of tax returns, He's worried the government's going to find out. And uh, if lawyer A said, well, um, I would have him sit tight and not do anything, or I would have him amend his tax returns or do something, which would be legal advice. Yes, sir. Or possible legal advice. That would be in the materials that are seized? I, I can't tell you that such an email is in there because I haven't read well, all right. the I'm not saying emails, you know what's yes, in there. Yes, it could be. Yes, sir. All right. I'm just, I'm just making something up. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. But that's a hypothetical that could occur in a large firm. Absolutely. If somebody came in with that kind of an issue, one of the partners might turn to the so-called expert or perceived expert in the criminal law. That's exactly right. The firm has the emails? The firm, what happened was that the firm's IT person assisted the agents in downloading a copy right. of the entire uh, uh, load of emails. And so, yes, the firm has a copy. Although laborious, uh, you could have an answer to Judge Rushton's question, couldn't you? Yes. Because the question is, what percentage are privileged? And you could do that, yes, firm-wise. The yes, firm sir. could. Yes, sir. But it has not. That's correct. So the, the government recognized that it was seizing. Is it your position that all of them are privileged? Uh, it's my position that thousands of privileged documents are in there. Um, I don't know whether every single one of them is privileged, although one could make the argument that since it involved the, the actions of law firms, that they're li likely to be almost all privileged either by the current client privilege or by the work product doctrine. Because from the standpoint of work product, it's going to uh, be what the lawyers were doing every day for their clients. So, so the, the government recognized that, that, that there was going to be an issue about this, and which is why they instituted and asked the magistrate to adopt what they call filter team protocols. And those filter team protocols are in the joint appendix. Um, and those protocols permit the government agents and attorneys to review, that's the word, quote, review, close quote, the communications between law firm and its clients. This is what in the civil context would be called a privilege review with one important distinction. Privilege reviews in the civil context are always performed by the party that holds the privilege. And that party then sends a privilege log to the requesting party. And if there is a dispute about whether or not a document should be withheld on the basis of privilege, the attorneys debate it back and forth. And if it can't be resolved, it's given to the court. Well, that's when they, in the civil cases, they're usually dealing with subpoenas. Yes, sir. This is not a subpoena case. That's correct. Well, they could have issued a grand jury subpoena. They could have. Uh, and... Uh, and then it could have been litigated. That's correct. Before the court, before they're turned over. And, and but, but the government didn't want it to be that way. That's correct. They wanted to get a hold of them first. That's correct. They wanted to look at them first, so they do it by search warrant. That's rather right. that's, that's the, correct. That's that's the way it worked. Yes, sir. But now they say in their brief that they got the approval of the United States Attorney to do it this way by grand by okay. grand jury subpoena, right. not by by search warrant. And they say they got the approval of the big wigs in 
the Department of Justice. Yes, they do. But is any of that in the record on appeal? No, sir. They just added that in? They stated it. I, they I, say it in their brief, but it's it. not in the record. That's correct. That being said, I don't doubt that that's true. Well, it might be true, but, but the record is supposed to be the record. I agree. Um, the point here is, though, that, um, that the district court below had the power, and I believe the obligation, to say that once they have seized these documents, they should not be the ones turning the pages to look at the privileged material. There is a path that has been set here. But they say they're doing courts. it in the Greenbelt office, and the, invest the prosecutors are, the real prosecutors are up in Baltimore. That's what they say. And it, that cleans it up. I don't think it does, though, because they're still an adversary party. They're still an adversary party. They, they are still the ones who are not the holders of the privilege. They are, in fact, adverse to the privilege. This court held back in 1988 in the In Re Marietta Corporation case that where you hand your adversary or where your adversary gets a privileged communication, not only is it, does it uh, eliminate the attorney-client privilege for those documents, it's a subject matter waiver, this court held. Counsel, and, does a, sorry to interrupt you, but does a district court judge ever have discretion to authorize taint team review of uh, documents that are maybe seized from a law firm or that are seized from a lawyer's home? Um, is there ever room for that, or is that always an abuse of discretion under your um, I, I believe reading? it's a judicial function. I believe that the determination of whether or not something is privileged is a judicial function. The, um, in, in the uh, Federal Rules of Evidence, for example. Are you saying it's a non-delegable, not, can't be correct. delegated to non -delegable. the taint team? Because then it goes out to the... It could be delegated to a magistrate judge, Article 3, um, delegation, but, but it has to stay within the court system. It has to stay within the court system. So what are they supposed to do when they conduct the search? They have to actually return, instead of, the inventory has to be a return of the documents themselves. The documents themselves should be, where, where you know that you have seized, you have to know, you're searching a law firm, it's full of privileged documents. You've seized an entire email file. At that point, they should do what they did in the Stewart case in the Southern District of New York. And they said, we're going to segregate these, we're not going to look at them, and we're going to wait to see what the court does. Are you familiar with that case in the Sixth Circuit? There are all these, all these things are called the United States versus under seal or something. Yes, sir. But it, this guy's a similar name, <clears throat> but written by Judge Boggs. If it's the Kaufman case, I'm familiar well, with it, Well, I'm not, Kaufman's not in it, but the Sixth Circuit in 2006, Judge Boggs was on it, Judge Sutton was on it, and there was a district judge on it. And, judge, and they, they didn't like these taint teams. And he called, Judge Boggs said it was like putting a fox in charge of the hen house. Well, I, in my view, uh, it's putting your adversary in charge of your privilege. Same thing. Well, it, the, the terminology he used was that. Yes, sir. But it was a subpoena case. Right. It was not a search case. Right. And, but I don't is think that a, a, Is that a, a basis for distinction? I don't think so. Because, one, because it's just a way of obtaining the document. The, the, that's just a mechanism. That's a way of getting the documents into your hand. You subpoena them, you search them, you get them in your hands. What you do next is what's important. And what, they, what the court ordered, for example, in Stewart or in the Galejo cases that we cited and on, on whose reasoning we relied, what they said was, at this point, we, the court, have the power to appoint a special master. The special master can, can then go through these documents. But he, could, he has the power to appoint. The, the, the court does, but it doesn't have to. Does, well, I think the court it, can do the work itself. That's correct. But I'm, I'm assuming I mean, we all have all clerks. I assume. Um, yes, sir. To help out. They had uh, DEA agents, or they have DEA agents yes, and sir. IRS agents and paralegals yes, sir. doing the work, non-lawyers. Right. Right? They're doing well, this. Well, they're both. They, they, the, the, their so-called filter team included AUSAs. Well, they were the supervisor. Yes, sir. But the but the 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 it included IRS agents. Yes, sir. DEA agents, paralegals. I don't know if there were DEA agents, but I know there were IRS agents. Yes, sir. DEA agents. Yes, sir. Mr. Elmer, Mr. Elmer, you've taken the position sort of categorically per se that the filter teams are not appropriate under any instance. Uh, and that's obviously your choice, and for good reason, I'm sure you have that. But if we disagree with you on that point, at the per se that you asked us to look at this, uh, can you point to a particular 
abuse of discretion or error? Yes, sir. In this case, beyond your categorical, would you address that? Yes, sir. It, it's really, I would say, it's not so much a per se rule because um, I don't know why you're uh, arguing that. Looks to me like you have to, you want to say what is to say in these circumstances. Yes, sir. It was error. I mean, it wasn't, what if the if the, if there was one man, one lawyer operation, sole practitioner that had one client. Right. I mean, you had a case similar to this with Cohen in New York. Yes, sir. And they appointed a special master. They did. And, and, uh, and, and, your, and your Honor, Judge King, you, you sort of anticipated what I was going to say, which is that you could, I, I suppose there are circumstances where the law firm is what this court referred to once as permeated with fraud, where the, where the, the, the operation has stopped being a law firm and stopped, started being a criminal operation. In those circumstances where the crime fraud exception is going to apply to everything virtually, then fine. That I, I could see circumstances there where the, a filter team would be appropriate. But where you have a, lar a large law firm like we do here that has many partners and where you have a lawyer who is said to be involved with only one client, there's no claim here that there is any criminal activity between anybody except lawyer A and client A and nobody else. No other clients are, are accused of anything. And all of those innocent clients' privileges are being abrogated by the review by their adversary party. I think the, the, that's an abuse of discretion not to stop that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I see I'm cutting into my, rebu my rebuttal time, so I, I respectfully reserve the rest of my comments for that time. All right. Thank you, counsel. Thank you. Mr. Hines. May it please the court, my name is Derek Hines and I represent the United States. We are fortunate to be a part of a legal profession where lawyers practice ethically, honestly, and lawfully. This case, unfortunately, is an exception to that norm. Here, a magistrate judge found probable cause to believe that target lawyer A, who's employed by the law firm, obstructed justice and used his law firm's resources to do so. He engaged in a conduct that threatens to destroy the judicial process. Two federal judges familiar with the facts of this case have appointed a court-supervised filter review. That review has pr protected privilege matters and has already been substantially completed. The government has made several attempts to further mitigate any risk of a breach of privilege, but the law firm has explicitly rejected such attempts. We ask that this court affirm the district court's procedure because its limited incursion into privilege is outweighed by the public's strong interest in rooting out criminal conduct by a lawyer. Now, I'd like to um, begin by answering a couple of your honor's questions regarding um, some of the things that the law firm could have done to mitigate the harm or the perceived harm to its clients. The government here has undertaken three significant efforts in addition to the already mandated court order filter review to mitigate any harm to its clients. First, immediately after the search, the government asked the law firm for a list of clients, simply a How can they give you a list of clients? Because, Your well, Honor. Clients, attorney-client relationship is none of the government's business. Have you ever practiced law? Your Honor. Um, have you ever practiced law privately? I have, Your Honor. Have you had a client walk in and talk to you about a criminal matter? Yes, I have, Your Honor. And th that's protected by attorney-client privilege. And, and you and have an attorney-client relationship. Is the existence of that relationship prior to a charge or something in the public record? Is that any of the government's business? So that whether it's the answer that yes or no. It is not protected by privilege. It Your is. Honor. The existence of it is. If you that it's not a matter of public record. It's none of the government's business. Certainly the content of communications between a client and lawyer are protected the nature of the relationship between the client and lawyer, but the mere fact that a client has an attorney-client relationship the, the with the firm. The fact that you've gone and talked to a criminal lawyer and established an attorney-client relationship, prior to an indictment, prior to a charge, prior to something in the public record, the government just can't come in and say to the lawyer, Tell me who your clients are. You can't do that, can you? 
You could come in and ask, but the lawyer can say, no, I'm not going to tell you who my clients are. Well, the client can say no as well. No, but the, the client can say no, too. And this protocol says that, that this taint team is authorized to contact the clients directly and ask them for a waiver. Now, wh who came up with that idea? So that would be... That's the, direct violation of the Code of Professional Responsibility. Con making a direct contact to a client, represented client that you know is represented, and you all want to do that. In these protocols that were approved before the search was ever conducted, the just team was going to be able to go out and talk to the clients directly and ask them for a waiver of their attorney-client privilege. Your Honor, respectfully, that's not actually what the protocol says or how it, it was well, to be implemented. Well, all right. What it, what it says is that if a client is no longer represented by the law firm, then the government could reach out to that client. There's multiple reasons why the government would need to do so to see who the new counsel is, to effectuate a, a proper waiver of that privilege. Here, the government was operating at all times under the auspices of the court. And so any such directive, any such movement, any such request by the government would run through the magistrate judge in this case. But, but I'm saying that the, but the protocols provide for that. The, that would happen, Your Honor, if the law firm was no longer representing the client. I just want to briefly go back to that, Your Honor's concern before. Well, it's the, at the bottom of page 42. Well, that's in the sealed appendix that hasn't been filed, but it's at page four or page three of the uh, of the attachment about things to be seized and the filter team's practices. The filter team may contact the attorney's clients to obtain waivers of the attorney-client privilege. May contact the, the the attorney's clients. So I believe, Your Honor, that that provision is... That con do you agree with that that contravenes the Code of Professional Responsibility? So this contemplates... Do, that, do, you, do you agree with that? I don't, Your Honor. Um, these are... You don't agree? That so, you, you say you can contact a client that you know is represented and ask them for a waiver of the attorney-client relationship with their lawyer? Respectfully, Your Honor, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this provision is designed that... In does, the the government, does the government sponsor this position around the country? So these are standard DOJ protocols. This provision has not been contested at the district court or magistrate court level, and it also has maybe not nobody been ever read it, or maybe the, I don't know. But that, that's what it says right here. Your Honor, there's 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 no record of the government having done that in this case, contacting any clients <coughs> of, of lawyers who are actively representing those clients to obtain attorney-client wa waivers. That is, that is simply not the record in this case, nor how this provision was designed. Just to go back to... Do you agree that the client A is the only one that's at issue here? No, Your Honor. There are uh, other people, as identified <coughs> in the sealed search warrant, that are uh, allegedly participants in the conspiracy to obstruct justice. They're represented by lawyer A or the law firm? No, they are not represented I'm by I'm talking lawyer. about the, 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 the of clients of the law firm. Is client A the only one at issue? Yes, Your Honor. So, client A, so anything that, that you have, and you, the government, that you have seized and that you've had here for two months or whatever it is, uh, anything that you've seized uh, that doesn't relate to client A, that is, it relates to clients B through Z, which assume they got 26 clients, the other the rest of them in the alphabet, client B through Z, if they relate to any of those, they were beyond the scope of the warrant. That is um, not quite correct, Your Honor. The they were beyond the scope of the affidavit supporting the warrant. No, Your Honor. The warrant explicitly authorized law enforcement to seize emails. In this case, they seized emails from one... Well, then it has to be beyond the scope of the affidavit. If client A is the only one then the warrant is broader than the, and we don't have them, they don't have them. You've never supplied them uh, to the other side. But if, but, if it, but if the warrant authorizes a seizure beyond what the affidavit supports, then the warrant's overly broad. And if you have in fact seized 
material for, that's not supported by the finding of probable cause, you've improperly seized it. Um, so if you have material from clients B through Z, the other clients of the law firm, they're none of the government's business. Judge King, the government is not required to know exactly where the incriminating evidence will be found. The government's, in the government's obligated not to exceed the warrant. This search did not exceed the warrant. The government was explicitly authorized to seize emails in this case. This is no well, different Well, they don't than have the authorization. They don't have the seizure part of the, or the authorized seizure part of it. Um, all we have to decide here is whether the filter team, I think, whether the filter team was is proper in this situation. That's correct. With a multiple lawyer law firm, with a multiple client law firm, that you're only looking for the communications between one lawyer and one client. Um, the government is not only looking for the communications between one lawyer and one client. They're looking for communications with that lawyer and other individuals identified in the affidavit, as well but as- But you said they aren't clients. That's correct. I'm talking about the clients. Of the, of the 26 clients in your hypothetical, Your Honor, that's correct. But Only client A. Correct, Your Honor. I would submit that this... Now you, call, you don't call him a client in, the, uh, in your brief. You call him a target lawyer. He is a but target he, lawyer. He, well, he is, he's a client of, of the law firm. He was a client of the law he firm. He is a, a client of the law firm in the facts of this case. Correct. He is no longer... You don't challenge was. the attorney-client privilege. If you do, then, the, then you can't use the exception. If you challenge that there's, there's got to be a, a client attorney-client relationship to apply the crime fraud exception to. No, no dispute there, Your Honor. We agree that there was an attorney-client relationship. Well, you yeah. haven't agreed that in, that in your brief. That's a, that's a good concession to have on the record here. Uh, you, you call him a target lawyer rather than a client. Um, we maintain that the crime fraud exception applies, and he is a target. Oh, I know. You've got a probable cause finding from the judge as to client A, as to client A, and as to lawyer A. And the question is, how far you went beyond that? They say uh, that there was 116 emails from client A, to and from client A, and 50,000 emails seized, that more than 99% don't relate to client A. Judge King, if I may make an analogy here, is what happened in this case is no different than when the government goes in and looks at the file cabinet in the law firm, goes through the files in that law firm, and looks for the file for client a, as they did in this case. Mm -hmm. They seized that single client file on the day of the search through the law firm. They were authorized to search through the law firm. They didn't know exactly which file would be in the filing cabinet, what, how the file was labeled, how thick the file was, how many documents were in it, but they seized that file and they were allowed to do so according to the search warrant. This is no different. But what they've done in a 23-person law firm, and that doesn't include the paralegals, staff, associates, etc. In this 23-lawyer law firm, they've gone in and seized a single email custodian file. Certainly, that email may contain communications unrelated to direct communications with client A. But the, the government has a right, pursuant to the search warrant, to go through that. This isn't a generalized search. They have to search through those materials to sift the wheat from the chaff. That's what the case law says, and find out exactly but what. But in that, you say the government has a right to, the court the court, your honorable opponent there says, has to be doing this because it's a judicial function to see if you are complying with the warrant that was issued by the court. And, and the court is doing that through the filter review protocol. Well, but the, no, but, the, but the, the way the filter review sets it up, the government looks at it first. Correct. And the that DEA is agent looks at it first. The IRS agent looks at it first. Non-lawyers are looking at it first rather than the court doing it. Uh, and if it's a judicial function, the court needs to look at it first. That's the way it happens if you subpoena. If you'd, if you'd, had, a, if, if you'd had a subpoena here rather than a search warrant, the, the court would have had there would have been a motion to quash, and they would, and they'd have litigated what you could get and what you couldn't get. And you all didn't want to mess with that. You wanted to be in there and, and do it. And, and the, what the Supreme Court or the Third Circuit called it, rummaging through the law firm's files to do it this way, right? So we dispute that, Your Honor. We are not rummaging through I know you say you're not rummaging through it, but they say you are rummaging through nearly 50,000 emails is what they got. And, and that's what and what the, oh, Judge Boggs out there in the Sixth Circuit said, it's nothing but the 
flocks being in the hen house. Uh, and any of if you grew up on a farm, you understand a little bit about what that is. Your Honor, um, to go through exactly what the agents are doing in this case, they are reviewing the emails for evidence of the crimes that are committed. I know it, and, they, the and, and, the, and the, but whether they're privileged or not needs to be decided first. And that's what Mr. Ulrich says is a judicial function. I, I would submit to the court that that You say would, it's not a judicial function. The privilege determination certainly is a judicial function, and that is every single And if privilege. it's privileged, you're not entitled to it. Correct. And as a All member right, but of the, you already have it. I do not have any of the emails, and I never will receive them as a member of the investigation. You, the government, have them. You, the government, have them. You have them. Uh, you took them. The government. And the, I'm talking about the executive branch. And, and what he's saying is that the, the judicial branch needs to decide first which of them you can have. The, the judicial branch authorized the executive branch to seize those emails. I understand, emails. and he says that's the author, the, uh, this filter team authorization, is, that's the issue here, is the filter, the taint team is, is a term that's used commonly. I think that's what Judge Boggs called it, a taint team, uh, is whether they create a lot of problems for the government. I mean, they, there's no question about that. Uh, in that case up in New York, that Cohen case, they, they appointed a special master, retired, uh, or a, I think a retired federal judge did that work. But that was a basically a, that was a one lawyer situation, and I don't know why the why magistrate judges can't do the work. To be honest with you, I, I don't, doesn't sound complicated to me, and they got lawyers working for them that understand a little bit about privilege or been trained in it at least. And if they need more lawyers, we can go get more lawyers. I mean, we got provisions for giving them giving them more personnel in important cases. Your Honor. Um, the appellants in this case cite only one case in support of their position where there was a court-supervised filter review process. Every other case that they cite was a government-only filter review process where the government made privilege determinations on their own. The government decided this document is going to go from the investigative team to the filter team. That can never happen in this case. The judge has not improperly assigned her judicial function because she is the ultimate arbiter of privilege. Most of the cases you cite don't relate to law firms I, and, and the, uh, different kinds of privilege. You recognize that, and you say that there's no law firm exception. You even use that term. There's no law firm exception in your brief. Um, but the but the, the right to counsel and the, uh, and the attorney client privilege and the work product privilege uh, is supported by the Sixth Amendment. I mean, it's in the Constitution. So, and in, the courts have a special obligation to protect uh, things that are in the Constitution, and so do you. So we, we absolutely respect the attorney-client privilege. There is nothing in the record in this case that the Sixth Amendment has attached to any client of the firm. They've actually conceded that there's no known clients involved with the U.S. Attorney's Office. The Sixth Amendment attaches after criminal charges have been brought. But nonetheless, we no, are... I'm talking about the Sixth Amendment provides the underpinning for the attorney-client privilege. That's a, the, that's a common law right, Your Honor. Well, and, but the, the, the Sixth Amendment is it, it, tied into it. And the, and the work, attorney work product privilege. Legal advice. Hmm. He's seeking legal advice. And, and, and there and, are countervailing and, interests and, in this case. And opinion uh, work product is, is very important. And uh, as is the Fourth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, and the right for they're the all important to go forward. But they're, but they're but they're specifically talking about attorney-client privilege and work product privilege. Uh, and that Upjohn case, the Supreme Court, and that Klutzman case is one of these things up there in the Third Circuit. Uh, and that Sixth that, that Sixth Circuit case, no, you didn't even mention that. You know, Judge Boggs, you say that's different because of a subpoena. So there's, there's a Sixth Circuit case we do mention, U.S. versus Kaufman, which upheld um, the government's uh, filter team. I'm not sure that that's the same case I'm talking about, but I thought it, was, it might be. And all, most of them say U.S. versus, un, versus uh, sealed subpoena, grand jury subpoena, and all that kind of thing. We do cite multiple uh, cases They all here have about the same name. We do cite multiple cases where courts have upheld filter teams for law firm searches. United States versus Lou, that's a Southern District of New York case. United States versus Neal, that's a I'm telling you, the case I'm talking about 
is in re grand jury subpoenas. 454 Fed Third 511, Sixth Circuit, 2006. That's mm -hmm. the one I'm talking about. And subsequently, in the Sixth Circuit case, U.S. versus Kaufman, the Sixth Circuit said the use of the taint team to sift the wheat from the chaff constitute an action respectful of rather than injuries to the protection of privilege. And, and Judge Boggs talks about the obvious flaw in the taint team procedure. Colon, the government's fox, is left in charge of the appellant's hen house and may err by neglect or malice, as well as by honest differences of opinion. That's the Sixth Circuit case that I've been talking about. We don't believe that there's, first of all, there's I know no, you don't believe. You can think that this, these things are all right to do, and you've got it all written in the, in the U.S. Attorney's Manual, uh, although the U.S. Attorney's Manual has a specific disclaimer that this doesn't create any rights for anybody about anything. Your Honor, uh, there's no record of actual harm in this case. As to the likelihood or potential likelihood of harm, the appellants vaguely proffer that there's 10,000 emails on the, on the email system. There's no record of that in this case. We've asked the appellants to identify for us if there's any matter. I used matter to practice law uh, for a long time. At different times, I practiced law. And I did a lot of criminal defense work. Even though I was a prosecutor for a long time. And I would hate to think of the government hauling my file cabinet uh, down to the IRS office uh, and, and, and holding on to it for two months and rummaging through it. But I know Your uh, Honor did not obstruct justice in the way well, that Target Well, I'm just Boyer telling you, I, that's a, that, that's a, you haven't charged anybody with anything. There's also a presumption of innocence in this country. Uh, and but but you, you take everything out of the law office and you look through it all. It, you look through it first because you're doing it by search as opposed to grand jury subpoena. And that's when you, and you wanted to say we went through a process and we studied on it and we decided to do it by subpoena because we got, but that's not in the record. That's not in the record. Why do you, why do you go outside the record? Your Honor, first of all, if we'd issue and you even you even use that sealed appendix for your facts. Here. The appellant hasn't sought to unseal the motion. Well, but the, you use the sealed appendix to, that they don't have. Uh, it, it, it's not in the record on appeal. They didn't dispute the district court's well, we, access Well, we haven't filed that sealed appendix. I understand, Your Honor. All right. So it's all, you, you have your, your briefs full of material that's not available to the other side. Because it was available to the magistrate court and the district judge. But it's not available to the other side. And this is an adversary process right here. And the, and the appellants have not moved before the magistrate or the district court to unseal that warrant. That is why it is sealed here before your honors, because the district court, the magistrate judge had access to it. And if I could just briefly conclude, your honor, in this case, the agents seized a single email file and a single client file, and it was pursuant to a search warrant. They could not have issued a grand jury subpoena. There would have been certainly production privileges that could have applied. And this is an obstruction case. The act of issuing a grand jury It's subpoena. not an obstruction case. It's a question of whether there's no charges here. The question here is whether it's what the government uh, is, is whether this filter team is properly appointed in the circumstances of this case. That's the issue here. As I understand it, it can't have to do with the scope of the warrant and all that stuff uh, because it hadn't been litigated in the district court. No, and sir. the other side hadn't been able to look at the affidavit. I mean, you, there's no suppression issues. Honor, Where is the filter team work product at this point? The law firm's work product or the filter? No, the filter team. Your your right. team. So the filter team has already reviewed uh, more than half Where of the documents. Where is the filter team's work product? That is all with the magistrate judge. The filter team. No, has... the uh, did you file that with? Uh, we we ordered you to put all the, send all the seized material. Correct. To the to the magistrate judge. Your Honor, we docketed a letter with um, the deputy clerk. Did, did you send all the filter team's work product to the to the magistrate everything judge? Everything is all the coding, processing, it is all... all the uh, Everything the filter team did is in the hands of the magistrate judge? Correct. Already? Okay, Correct. that's so, what I was... That's exactly what I appreciate. So that. they that's, have that's, substantially finished the review. They have got, done more than 50% of the re review of these documents. Their coding has been preserved so it can be re-uploaded so so and the, completed in short but order. The, but, but they're in the hands of the magistrate judge under seal. Correct. Along with the seized material. Correct. We complied with the court's order. No, the court's order didn't tell you to do anything about the, what the filter team had done. 
about their memos or notes or conclusions or analysis or anything. We didn't tell you that. We told you to, we told you to send the seized material from the search to the magistrate for filing under seal. And recognizing the spirit of that order, we not only did that, we did the coding and the process. And, that, and, that's, and, preservation and that's what I was getting well. at. And that, that's been substantially completed, and we ask that this court consider lifting its stay so the process can be completed in short order. Your Honors, this, no circuit court, no district court has ever held that a court-supervised filter review process that has already been substantially completed should be invalidated. Certainly the judges You in said this that case, they, uh, they asked you, Ray wrote a letter one time to you, and, and you didn't respond for a week while you were doing this work and you didn't wait and then they uh, and then they filed a motion and with the court and, and didn't get a hearing for 10 days or 12 days if the question is likelihood of and, then, harm, and when the judge ruled they filed their notice of appeal immediately your honor as far as the likelihood of harm in this case it is significantly more likely that harm will be done if now a special master a defense team contractors e-discovery vendors new individuals or a magistrate judge and, and staff are added to this process. How'd y'all end up with the, with the, uh, all the judges over in Virginia? So the, the uh, bench in the District of Maryland recused itself. Judge Gregory uh, appointed uh, Judge, Judge O'Grady to preside over this matter. Okay. But the, all, all the judges in, uh, is that in the record? Um, yes, it is in the record in the briefing. It's a, well, I know it's in, the, it's in your brief. Y'all say so. But is it in the record in the district court anywhere? Uh, it's in the briefing before the district courts. And I know you just make things, you just add things in, but you don't you don't, you don't support them in the record anywhere. Uh, and the uh, and the and the magistrate judge, how she, was she appointed by Judge O'Grady? She was appointed by um, uh, the district, the chief district judge in the Eastern District of Virginia. The chief district judge. Yeah. Because there's a, some provision in the magistrate law that somebody raised at some point that they don't um, they can't issue a search warrant outside their district. No, she is, she is designated to sit in Maryland on temporary assignment for this matter. Okay. For the, rec yeah, for the record, I'll vouch that uh, Mr. Hines' representation is 100% accurate. That's correct. Thank you, Judge. All right. But I just was just a question that, uh, Mr. Hines, is it your position that all of the, um, any, all the uh, any materials that are deemed to be non-privileged and non-relevant to client A, you can see them? The government can see them? We can, however, how it's working in effect is the agents are going through the email and if they can isolate a file or a series of communications that appear to be completely unrelated to what we're looking at, they're not looking at them. We don't have an interest in, in looking at them. But you material. can though. We can spot check them because we have to ascertain if, if this, is, this is an obstruction investigation. He hasn't been charged yet but the lawyer's intent at all times is completely relevant to the charges in this case. So if he communicates with a family member, an associate, and a friend, someone involved listed in the affidavit, the things that he are saying are, are, are critical. And to evaluate that in a vacuum without any context whatsoever will actually do more harm for the privilege than help it because the, the, the agents in the case will not be able to assess whether this is in fact some privileged communication. If he says he agrees, or let's destroy it. It could be related to some other innocuous matter, but just in a vacuum, the agents won't know that. That's why it's a living, breathing process that the agents have to go through. Judge Rushing? Judge King? I'm fine. Thank you, counsel. Thank you, Your Honor. Mr. Elric, you, Elric, you have some time left? I have a few minutes. With the court's permission, I'll use a couple of them. Uh, let me address a couple of things Mr. Hines said. Uh, with respect to his argument that this is no different than if the government went through the file cabinets at the, um, in, in the offices of the, the law firm, I, I respectfully disagree with that. They seized essentially all of the correspondence. If you, if you went back to the old pre-electronic days, it would be as if they seized every single piece of correspondence of lawyer aid, even though they saw a file that said, client A's file, here it is. Presumably, that's where they should stop. But instead, they went and they scooped up every single bit of correspondence that Lawyer A had in the entire law firm. That's like Klitzman. That was the rampage that Klitz, the Third Circuit in Klitzman uh, condemned and, and affirmed a preliminary injunction from the, the district court um, telling them they couldn't do that. 
He also said that the court is, is doing review through the filter team. The court is not doing the review. The review is being done by members of the executive branch. Um, an Article III judge, I respectfully suggest, cannot delegate a judicial function to a member of the executive, which is what the protocols allow. Just to for my clarify my understanding, my understanding of the protocols is that no document goes to the investigative team absent either a court order saying that it's not privileged because of the exception and it can go, or an agreement between the law firm and the government. Is that right? I think that's essentially correct, Your Honor. Um, from my standpoint, that doesn't matter because in the, in, in the initial step, government agents and government AUSAs are making the privilege review. This is a privilege review. That's what they're doing. And, and a privilege review should be either done by either the holder of the privilege or by uh, a court in, in an in-camera setting or somebody that the court delegates its powers to. That's the only way you can protect the privilege. The, priv the privilege says you can't disclose it to third parties. To interrupt one more time, counsel, is of course. I'm trying to imagine this in a case that's not a law firm, but where the privilege might be implicated. So say you have an, a defendant who has uh, already has an attorney and has potentially been in trouble with the law previously, and there's a warrant uh, to seize his email because of new crimes he's implicated in. And there might be privileged emails with his attorney in there, um, but that's not the subject of the investigation. The subject of the investigation is something else. Yes, ma'am. Um, has a court ever said that the government can't get a warrant and grab those emails? Has the court ever said, no, you have to get a subpoena or you have to send a, a magistrate judge to the house to look through those emails? And if not, how do we distinguish between those cases? Um, Your Honor, I think, I think in most of the cases that the government cited where a filter team was used with the court approval was in just the kind of situation that Your Honor just posited. Somebody's house is searched and in the house they find some, some um, privileged materials or, um, uh, or businesses searched, same kind of thing, it, but it's not a law firm. And, and, and the difference between those two circumstances is the law firm by definition is a repository of, of privileged communications. That's where you're going to find them. It's just packed full of them. And, so and, and between the work product privilege or doctrine and the, and the attorney-client privilege, almost all of the, uh, of the uh, documents that you're going to see there are potentially privileged. And, and so in this circumstance, to then take that filter team concept that may apply with as a couple of documents that are that in the course of a, of a, of a search are turned up and apply that to a law firm is, I think, an extrapolation beyond the, the allowance of the law. The, uh, it, it, I'm sorry, you're, you're always, look like you're about to ask me a question. Yes, yeah, so. Mr. Ali, is, is your biggest, I should say, bigger concern um, competence or confidentiality in terms of the filter team? Because, one, can they competently determine privilege on, or, or on the other, can you trust that there won't be any ble bleaching or into uh, the other side of the prosecutorial team. It's really the confidence issue, and it's not, and it's not a question of the honor of the AUSAs involved or the agents involved. It's, it's the fact that the whole concept of the attorney-client privilege is that you, are, uh, you, the client, are willing to tell your lawyer your innermost secrets and confidence, and some of them which may not be flattering at all, some of which may, in fact, talk about illegal behavior that you had in the past, and what do I do about it? And you have to have the confidence that when you relay that information to the attorney, it's going to be protected. That's the whole idea why, why we have this privilege in place, to encourage the full and frank and candid disclosure by clients to lawyers so lawyers can do their jobs for them. And that is why the rules have been put in place that say, well, when you disclose that or it is disclosed to a third party, that whole confidential nature of the relationship breaks. And at that point, the reason for the existence of the privilege ceases and therefore the privilege ceases. And that is what this government privilege review threatens because both from appearance and reality, what you have is the adverse party, an adverse party 
saying, I'm going to do the privilege review for you. It would be as if in a civil context, it would, people would think it would be absurd if I said um, in the civil context, Mr. Hines and I were de uh, debating, Mr. Hines had privileged documents and I said, I want to see the privileged documents. He said, no, they're privileged. You can't see them. I said, well, they don't look like they're privileged from, from my review of the privilege log. Tell you what, I'll let Mr. Malik, who's in my office, he'll look at the, your privileged documents and he'll have a debate with you about whether or not they're privileged and he promises he won't be involved in the case. In the civil context, people say that's ridiculous. Nobody would do that. that that's, that's not permissible. But that's precisely what they're saying here. We'll let the Greenbelt people, they're not going to be involved in the case, so it's okay if they look at your privileged materials. They it's also offer okay. in, one, in a footnote in their brief that if this is not permissible to do it this way with the Greenbelt people, they'd be willing to let the U.S. Attorney's Office in Utah do it. I don't, that's a, dis, that's a uh, distinction well, wouldn't be, a They wouldn't be all be working for Mr. Hur in Baltimore. They'd be working for a U.S. Attorney. They would be working for the people in Washington, too. Still, Mr. Barr. Right. And they're um, still an adverse party. They're the government and it's, and it's the United they, States. But they said they'd farm it out to another U.S. Attorney's Office. I don't think that makes any difference at all. And I don't think that solves the problem. The problem is an adversary reviewing your privilege material. It's just fundamentally inconsistent with the concept of what the attorney-client privilege is. And for that reason, we respectfully request In the, in the uh, this attorney-client privilege thing, I've been around a lot. But I, I, seems to me in West Virginia, it's a crime to breach attorney-client privilege. Maybe a felony. I don't know what it is in Maryland. Uh, I don't know that it's a crime. It's, it's certainly it's unethical. A, it's an annulment offense or disbarment offense for a lawyer that do it in their own Absolutely. context. I mean, the lawyer has a duty uh, to maintain the client's confidences and, and you could be disbarred for not the best they can. And, and that's part of the reason that we're here. Because law firm has clients, they have privileges, it's law firm's obligation to protect those clients' privileges. And that's the reason we asked the court below to say, take them out of the government's hands. If the government wants to continue the search to review those, they can. And they can do it by- yeah, The only way a, a client's going to talk to the lawyer is if they know the lawyer, they can trust the lawyer. And they know that what they say is going to be protected. And the only way the lawyer can give good legal advice is if the client has confidence enough to tell the lawyer the truth. That's exactly if right. He, if he or she actually committed a crime, they need to tell you. The lawyer needs to know. But then you're not going to you defend it a different way. You we'll put them on the witness stand, but you're entitled to defend the case. Yes, sir. And, and that's the reason that, that the Supreme Court and this court and all the, the courts have said this privilege has to be respected even though it gets in the way of investigators, even though it costs time and it costs money and it's not as efficient as if when the government, government can come in and they can review it themselves. It's not as efficient. I, I concede that. But it's the cost of having a privilege. Unless there are any other questions, I thank the court for its time. Thank you, counsel.